minutes, 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's Grant Cameron, and today on my podcast, I want to do another little segment on what is called the CKY film. This is a film that was taken in May 1975. It was the film that actually got me interested. There had been sightings before the film, which I was aware of, but it wasn't until CKY TV, which is a um, TV station here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, captured an object on a film that was landed that I actually got involved. As I said, the incident happened in May of 1975. Uh, the object that was involved was known as Charlie Red Star. It had been in a small town called Carmen, Manitoba for uh, a few months before the film was taken. Both CKY-TV and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation had TV crews out at the site almost every night trying to capture this thing on film. And CKY got lucky. The film, I think, is potentially the most important UFO film in the world. Um... I would say even more important than the Nimitz because uh, the Nimitz is an object um, on film but there's really no uh, background uh, perspective as to objects behind it. Um, The CKY film is important because number one there are ten witnesses that are involved. Uh, This thing is on the ground, they almost capture it on film the one night they all go back out the second night to try to capture it on film. And they have a cameraman with one of these 1975 uh, giant TV um, camera outfits stationed on a road, which is called Highway 3, just north of Carmen, Manitoba. And there are uh, nine other witnesses. There are a number of pilots. Uh, the publisher of the local paper is there. Uh, one of his reporters is there. The TV crew has the uh, the guy taking the film, running the camera, and then they have two reporters that were on site as well. There was also the owner of the airport in Carmen, Manitoba, Bob Demert, who was there, and Freddie Giesbrecht, who was the professional photographer. So what basically happens is they see this thing on the ground, down a road, 
Uh, one, there's two cars that separate. One goes north of the object, one goes south of the object, trying to sort of come across and uh, cut it off at the pass, try to get close to it. Meanwhile, the cameraman is looking down the road, uh, watching this thing glow up and glow back down. The car on the north actually does get very, very close. It gets within a couple hundred yards of this thing. The object is on its side like a TV screen, not touching the ground. It's 50 feet high, blood red, in behind a set of uh, trees, row trees uh, that are in a field. Um, as they're looking around to get their perspective as to exactly where they are in the countryside, this thing jumps in the air, they don't realize it, and the cameraman down at the far end of the road uh, has decided the next time it glows up I'm going to shoot, and as he goes to shoot this thing jumps in the air almost like it was actually planned. Looking back I do believe that this was not a random event. People like to believe there are random events like, um, if, for example, um, you know, cells of a body that they just sort of accidentally uh, come together um, and we sort of forget the fact that there are um, a hundred uh, trillion atoms that make up this um, cell and that they all seem to go into the three-dimensional spot, the right three-dimensional place at the right time uh, to form three billion base pairs which are all done exactly like the last cell with no mistakes. Now, the interview I'm going to read today is from Ray Cormier. He was one of the two reporters. There's an interview I've already published which is um, the other reporter that was on the scene and I've in, done an interview that is in the file uh, with uh, Alan Kerr who was the guy who was shooting the camera at the time. So today um, I'm going to read the interview that I did with uh, Ray Cormier and this was in March of 1977. I am trying to recover the film, I'm trying to get a copy of the film and the film is um, actually very important because what you have is the film, as this thing jumps off the ground, it moves from uh, ground level up to, uh, depending on which estimate you use, 3,000 to 5,000 feet in three-eighths, uh, three frames of film. So one-eighth of a of second, it jumps this, this speed, and then it starts to go across the sky. And when the film is played back, uh, you can see this object is moving up and down. It's actually rotating, it's flashing. Uh, there are a series of echoes. There are four or five echoes of this object following the object. And um, uh, just fascinating uh, piece of film, which was, and a lot of analysis was done. The problem with this was almost as if the phenomena doesn't want the, the story out. There's a documentary called uh, UFOs That Has Begun. The copyright is 1979. It's the original uh, or a, reco a reproduction of UFOs Past, Present, and Future, which was done by my friend Bob Emmenegger and Alan Sandler in 1975. 1979, they redo it, and Jacques Vallée is on camera in there talking about this CKY film. Other than that, we have no copies of this film. Um, I got a copy from Alan Kerr after... Uh, talking to him quite a bit, trying to convince him to give me a copy. I had a second generation. It was on a, uh, a metal six-inch reel, and 
it disappeared. This is the story that happened with everybody else. They made all sorts of copies. Uh, CKY no longer has a um, copy of the film. Uh, of course, theirs was taken by Alan Kerr because he really didn't get paid for it. So when he left, he took the film with him. But they did a documentary, about an eight-minute documentary, as they go frame by frame through this uh, film. That is no longer around. Uh, J. Allen Hynek got two copies, as you'll hear in this interview. Um, his copies are wherever they're gone. Uh, at this point, we do not know anybody who has a copy other than the the film that you can see, the copy on UFOs, it has begun. Now here's the interview I did with Ray. So he starts off by saying, what do you want? So I said, I want to know whether I could obtain a copy of the CKY film that was taken in May of 1975. Ray says, no. I just talked to the photo chief and he said they've given them all away. And we don't have any record of the original. As I said, Alan Kerr actually took this. So Ray Cormier is still working at CKY TV when I talked to him about this. And I guess he's he's talked to the photo chief and they say, no, we don't have the film. I ask, don't you have a record of the original? No. What we did was to set several prints to be made up because a lot of people wanted them. I forget what his name was now, Professor, and he hesitates, and I say, J. Allen Hynek of Chicago? Yeah, Chicago. And I said, it's reported that he has two prints. Yeah, I don't know what he has, but he might be able to uh, get you prints. Now, I contacted Hynek, I contacted the Center for UFO Studies, and no response, uh, no, no indication at all. Um, that Heineck had the film, nobody really wanted to respond. I say to Ray Cormier, I said, we can't get through to him. The planetarium is trying to get a copy as well. So the local planetarium here in Winnipeg was trying to get a, a print copy of this film as well. Ray said, yeah, well, that was like a year ago, actually February 76. Alan Heineck came down here and he was waiting for his hypotheses of the whole thing. We showed him the videotape as well. We're not really, that's over and done with right now. We don't ever believe that it was anything. So he's playing the skeptic. He starts by playing the skeptic. He didn't believe this was anything, even though they were pretty excited when they got this thing on film. Um, so I ask, is this CKY's opinion of the film now? So curse, uh, Cormier says, we had several photographers look at it over the years since it was shot, and there were a lot of scientific, well, at least not scientific. I'm not into photography myself, but they came up with a lot of logical explanations of what it might have been. Whatever that was, <laughs> just a point I'll make here, I never heard of any of that kind of stuff that anybody ever explained what this thing was. So we got this film of what we thought was a UFO, an unidentified flying object. But it looks now like we're through with it. I asked him, are you aware of the Air Force people who screened this film? I believe it was the day after the film was shot. And Cormier says, yeah, they did. And there were a lot of other people. 
and there were people who saw it with their naked eye, and all these people vouched for what it was, a lot of people and photographers. In Carmen, the count explained the unexplained. They believe it, and I believe it. I'm not skeptical. I want to believe it as much as anyone else. So he, he, Ray asked me, what exactly is your trip? Are you an amateur? I said, no, I'm a ufologist. And I spent two years in Carmen. And at present I'm doing two chapters of a manuscript and an outline. And I'm sending that to the publisher. There are two chapters, one on photography and the other on some of the better cases that occurred. These are the two chapters that I've been sending to the publisher. One of the big things in the chapter is photography. And of course, that means the CKY film. So Cormier says, well, as far as I'm concerned, it was legitimate. And everything that he, he's referring to Alan Kerr, the photographer, did, how he presented it, was legitimate. But we haven't actually heard of someone who's a physicist or an astronomer who had a look at it. Someone who says... This explains the unexplainable. Not really true. J. Allen Hynek was an astronomer. He looked at it, and so were the people at the planetarium. They had astronomy people uh, who looked at the film as well. So I said, Hynek made one statement to the planetarium that was the best nocturnal light film he'd ever seen, especially this thing with the radar-type pulse that was trailing across the film. This is this these echoes, four or five echoes that were in different spots on the film, trailing the, the film as it went through. So what happens is the thing jumped in the air, he caught it jumping in the air, and then it started to fly across the sky, and they panned the camera and followed this thing as it went across the sky. So Ray counters that. He said, that could have been a burn in the film too, because after all, if it's moving film, there could have been a trail left on the emulsion. It's something that will never happen again. What we tried to do was to go where it landed and hopefully try to film it. Well, they did actually go to the, the spot where the thing landed the very next day with Geiger counters and got uh, evidence that the object had been sitting on the ground exactly where these, these witnesses had come very close to it. So we have the film and we actually have the position on the ground where this thing was. So we know the camera was eight and a third miles away. We know exactly where the camera was and exactly where the object was on the ground. So Cormier adds on, he said, that would have been tremendous if we had filmed it while it was sitting there on the ground. When the UFO, how can I best explain it with a little physics that... I know some sort of warp time. I asked the professor about warp time and the flash on the horizon. Now this is what's called the flash frame that he's referencing here. Uh, there was one frame of the film which is called a flash frame. And I believe Billy Meyer has one in his uh, uh, film as well. So what happens is the object is on the ground. Uh, the next frame of film, the entire horizon lights up. There's a big hump of light going into the south and a hump of light going into the north. 
and you can see the entire horizon for one frame of film, 1 24th of a second. In the third frame, the thing is that the, the object is on the top of the uh, frame. So it's gone from the bottom of the frame to the top of the frame and leaves this flash frame in between. Uh, now he, he talks about the flash on the horizon with the foreground and the background and the UFOs between them. So there's a hump on the right, hunt, hump on the right, hump on the left, hump on the right, and then the object is in the middle. So we couldn't say what a, that it was a car light or anything like that. It was not a car light because the beam was shining in two different directions, just as strong. It so-called disappeared. and that point, we don't know how warp time is, the speed of light. If they were able to break it, that's what UFOs could do in order to go from one galaxy to another. That's what I found so interesting, that it might have defied the speed of light. And this is this thing moving incredibly fast off the ground. As you'll see later on, he gives some estimate of how fast this thing moved off the ground. And this is exactly the opposite of the, the Nimitz. The Nimitz goes from 80,000 feet down to sea level in 7 eighths of a second. This goes from ground level up to 3,000 or 5,000 feet, depending which estimate you use, in 1 eighth of a second. So I said, it's too bad we couldn't get a hold of Heineck because he has the he has the prints, and I would like to get his analysis of the whole thing. We've been sending registered letters, and we still can't get through to him. Ray says, hasn't he replied? I said, no. He hasn't replied to myself, nor to Ed Barker at the planetarium. We're all trying to find out what his opinion of this is. I thought maybe I could sidetrack Heineck by getting my own print. I ended up getting my own print, but then I lost it. Um, I think that's almost rude of the professor, said Cormier, because that's his forte. I don't see why he would want to res not respond to you. I know he's a busy man, but he's not that busy. I stated it was very controversial at the time. Cormier said, I waited for him. He promised to send back his hypothesis to me as well, but he never did. You spoke to a lady at the... a lady photographer in Carmen. You know what I mean? I'm really pleased with what she, what she got. She got three prints shooting through her front window. Those I actually put in the book. I actually bought the rights from her for those three photographs. She had um, hundreds of photographs. She was determined to try to get this, and she'd set up a camera looking out the front window of her house so that she wouldn't have to set up the camera when it when the object appeared. And she happened to pick it up and got three very good photographs. Uh, one, Two of them where the thing is moving. It's a one-second time exposure. And then the third... Uh, it's a time exposure, but the object is hovering. It's sitting in one spot. Uh, so I mentioned the fact that she was shooting through glass, 615 millimeter telephoto. Um, Ray says, it couldn't have been a meteorite or a comet referring to uh, Giesbrecht's uh, photographs or anything like that. It changed. It moved so quickly across the screen. It was calculated by NASA and 
CBC also looked at it, and about 20-odd scientists. The United States at the time, when in the United States when it was really hot, NBC actually picked up the rights to the film and actually showed the film, which caused a controversy because they the CKY had not paid the photographer for taking it, and they actually gave him money and told him to keep his mouth shut when he was talking to NBC. They estimated it to be going between going thirty two thousand miles an hour. My calculation was one hundred and twenty thousand miles per hour. I was plotting coordinates as the thing moved across the lens. It went up and down and across the camera lens. And you'll never get a picture like that again. There was no way that you can even try. There it is. Get it. It just went right across the camera while it was running, which was something else, a fluke. And that is sort of the story. This thing was captured as it went along. Um, then in the other interviews that I've already published, you'll see that um, they actually, uh, the film editors at the TV studio actually cut out the pieces that were where nothing seemed to appear. Whenever the camera was stationary, it picked up the object. Whenever the camera was moving, it didn't pick up the object. So they actually ended up with only two pieces of, of this uh, film, one where it jumps in the sky and the second one where it's flying across the sky and he stops the camera lens as it flies through the lens. So an incredible um, story. We're still trying to find the uh, video, uh, which somebody has to have in a vault somewhere, because there's quite a few copies of this thing made. And perhaps mine will show up again. But until then, uh, an incredible story that got me involved. I never would have gotten involved if I hadn't seen this film and the eight-minute documentary that the TV studio had done. It was at that point when I saw this video and the bizarre things that were on the film that I said, let's go. Uh, we went out and within an hour, I had seen the object fly right in front of the car. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again soon. We're gonna, I'm going to do uh, a few stories coming up of the events in Carmen, Manitoba that I investigated for two years on the ground between 1975 and 1977. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.